We're very, very happy to have Fat Williams rejoining us. Of course, the creator of the Orlando Magic, a Philadelphia 76er general manager for a long period of time when I worked with the 76ers, and one of the really great guys that uh, you, you can see in the world of sports. And, Pat, uh, we did a show a couple of nights ago uh, in another area, and you brought up your new book. Uh, first of all, how many books, for all the people that are listening right now, how many books have you now written? John, the answer is 130. Oh, and, my God. Uh, <clears throat> and my high school English teacher, Mr. Oviat, uh, would would turn over in his grave. He'd never believe it. Uh, <laughs> he'd, he'd have a hard time dealing with that. But uh, that's, his latest book is called Who Coached the Coaches? And um, it was quite a, a, a time putting it together. It took about seven years. But uh look forward to chatting with you a little bit about it, Don. Ben, I think that's the interesting factor you mentioned the other night. You started out with your father. So let's go back and, and sort of give the origination of what the idea was and how it came up. And as you said, seven years is a long time to put into one book. Give us a little thumbnail sketch. Well, Don, I, I have a good friend. His name is Ernie Accorsi. He is uh, was a friend at Wake Forest together, a longtime NFL general manager in the New York Giants uh, Hall of Fame. And years ago, Ernie said to me, you know, he said, I'm fascinated about coaches. I, I've, I've studied coaches, you know, my whole adult life in this business. And he said, but the one thing that I've never figured out or never learned about is how did they become coaches? What, what triggered that, that they, they wanted to become a coach? And, uh, and Ernie said, why don't, you, why don't you tackle that one? So I uh, <laughs> I started slowly, uh, seven, about seven years ago, and whenever I would run into a coach or a manager uh, at the big league level or major college, I just asked him a question. Who is the key person in you becoming a coach? And, and, and what did you take from them? What, what, what did that key person do in your life? And, and that was it. And so over, over these seven years, I tracked down, gosh, it's got to be well over 200 coaches, I uh, wish I could have kept going, but the publisher said at some point we got to we got to print this, <laughs> and uh, because it never could have ended, <clears throat> but uh, it was fascinating, and uh, uh, little by little I, I just began to build this list. Many of the coaches, most of them you probably heard of, uh, from Andy Reid to to Pat Riley to to Roy Williams to uh, Fran Dunphy. I mean, on and on it went. And uh, it's just been an intriguing and fascinating project. The book is out, Who Coached the Coaches? Uh, the publisher is Coach's Choice out on the West Coast. And uh, <clears throat> you're going to read uh, in the book exactly what these coaches told me. I didn't, I didn't uh, modify anything. Uh, just identified the coach and what sport and where they are. And then and here's what they told me based on that question. So. That's how it came about, Don. Pat, I thought you made a very, very interesting uh, point the other night when we chatted, something that uh, I, I have great admiration for because I'm, you know, my family's always been a big part of, of my life from my father on down. And you talked about that your father really being one of the people that got your ideas together uh, about how you would conduct yourself, but more importantly about coaching and how you go about all the things you were doing. Well, Don, there's no question our, our fathers have a big influence on us. But, but uh, there were two themes uh, that seemed to keep coming up all the time. Uh, 
uh, on this project. Two two common themes. Uh, the first theme was, as far as who was the key person you becoming a coach, uh, was my father, my dad. Uh, he seems to be the the key the key element here, and that's a good challenge, Don. That's a great challenge to the importance of, of fathers. Uh, you you are having an enormous impact on your children, and and if and particularly if you were a high school coach, I, I got a lot of that from these coaches. My dad was a high school coach, and I was around it all the time. I was around his teams. I was around the locker room. I I just grew up in that environment. I heard that a lot. That, by the way, was was the case in my life. My dad was a high school baseball coach, history teacher. And I guess, I don't know, starting at the age of four or five, I can remember hanging around his teams, uh, hanging around the, the bench, you know, the baseball team, you know, and he was coaching that team. Now, here's the second theme uh, that I, I, I got a lot of. Uh, the key person in me becoming a coach was my high school coach. I heard that a lot. I, 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 I idolized my high school coach. Uh, I, I, I loved the way he uh, handled himself. Uh, I loved the way he dressed. Uh, I loved the way he, uh, he coached. I, he, he was an idol to me. I wanted to be just like my high school coach. Uh, I heard an awful lot of that. So there's another uh, another good lesson, Don, to, to youth coaches, whether you're coaching at Little League Baseball or whether you're coaching uh, junior high basketball or high school football. Uh, your athletes are, are looking at you intensely, and uh, they, they want to be like you. They, they want to, uh, if, if, you, if you're modeling the right kind of life, they're, they're watching. And, uh, and they want to be following in your footsteps. Pat Williams, our special guest in this segment tonight. And uh, Pat's going back now, and you'd like to single out one or two, uh, because I think one of the most difficult things to do at all levels, and you've worked at all levels. You mentioned that for your dad in high school, then college, of course, at Wake Forest, and then in the pros with uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, and then when you created the team with the Orlando Magic, selecting a coach. Not an easy thing, Don. It's it's uh, you've got to be very careful in, in hiring a coach at, at this level. Uh, you've got to make sure that he's got the maturity to handle it, uh, maturity to handle the the ups and downs of life in professional sports. Now, there's so many highs, so many lows, and and you've got to have a, a, a stable personality. Uh, that, that can handle this. It's not going to fly off the handle, you know, uh, when things are bad. Or uh, when, if things are really good, you get too comfortable or complacent. Uh, I think that's awfully important. And the other thing I learned is uh, it, it's awfully good if you hire a coach that you uh, you enjoy being with, uh, that you enjoy having a meal with, that you enjoy sitting and, and, and just talking about life. Uh, coaches are a strange breed, and uh, oftentimes they, they want to live in their own world. But I found as an executive, as, as a GM of teams, if, if you could find a coach that you really enjoyed being with, enjoyed just, just talking and fellowshipping with, and, and going through the highs and lows together, boy, that's a huge advantage. 
Is there any one coach that stands out in your mind uh, when you talk to him and you ask him this particular question you started the show with? Anybody that jumps right out at you and say, well, how about that? Don, one of, <laughs> one, one of my favorite chats was with uh, Lefty Drizel. Oh. Old, old lefty he's still around he lives in the norfolk area and i, I got a hold of him and uh, bounced this question off him and he proceeded uh to tell me exactly how he got into coaching and uh, who were the key people it was it was it was a marvelous chat and uh i, I finished with him hung up and and the phone and, and and a few minutes later he called back and he said, in that wonderful Virginia drawl, he said, well, one more thing, Pat, one more thing. He said, I, I was never an assistant coach like Dean and those guys, <laughs> <laughs> meaning Dean Smith uh, and, and, and Mike Krzyzewski. You know, all of them were assistants somewhere. Uh, but Lefty said, you know, from the time he started in high school to Davidson College to Maryland and so forth, he, he, he never was an assistant. And he wanted to let me know. He said, I was never an assistant like like Dean and those guys. <laughs> and he out there, wound up there in James Madison. And I'll tell you, he moved around to a lot of schools and did a lot of great coaching. I'll tell you that. And, yeah, and Georgia, Georgia, uh, Georgia State. But, but Don, the, the point I'm making is, uh, there's old lefty, you know, well on into his 80s, uh, still competing with with Dean Smith, the late Dean Smith, still competing, always competing, never stopped competing. I was, I, 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 I never was an assistant like Dean and those guys, and I, <laughs> and I, and I thought, isn't that great? The old left-hander, you know, is uh, is, is still competing. You know, he probably. Uh, and, and you know what Lefty told me? He said the highlight of his month is when he goes in for his pedicure. <laughs> he, he said, "He said I, I wish I'd learned about pedicures many, many years before." <laughs> How about Bobby Knight? Did you get him involved? No, nope, didn't get Bobby. Bobby, Bobby's uh, uh, Donnie's dealing with uh, uh, some form of dementia. And oh. uh, so Bob, Bobby's just not uh, not himself. You, you're not going to get anything out of Bobby. So uh, I, I I had to had a pass on that. Anybody else that comes to mind that uh, <laughs> as interesting as as Lefty always was? Anybody else? Well, uh, uh, Billy Cunningham comes to mind, and and Billy, we had a we had a nice chat one day about it. And uh, it, it really, his first one, he said, uh, the first key was Dean Smith. And those North Carolina guys, uh, Don, are absolutely devoted to Dean Smith. I mean, devoted. And and then and then uh, Billy said the other one was uh, Jack Ramsey. And I thought that isn't that interesting, Doctor Doctor Jack, Doctor Jack, who we all loved. Doctor Jack was. Uh, of course, the great coach at St. Joe's in Philadelphia. And then, you know, took on the head coaching job in, with the Sixers in 1968-69. And Billy was there and played for him. And uh, and, and I, I thought, you know, everybody that played for Jack in the pros, uh, Bill Walton would be another great example. They had nothing, nothing but uh, positive thoughts on, on Jack Ramsey, the coach, the NBA coach. But but Billy uh, 
Billy pointed out the two keys to me were Dean Smith and Jack Ramsey. Not 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 too bad, by the way. Not too bad. No question. And I'll tell you, Jack, uh, when he got out there at, uh, to Portland, uh, towards it, and that, and that group, Bill Walton, uh, uh, he had some very tough times when Buffalo was in Buffalo and before, before they moved out. But he finally found a, a spot where he had a great uh, group of players to play with him, and he took them to a Took him to a championship. And, Donnie was fortunate because the one key year that Bill Walton was not injured uh, was that 76-77 season when Bill played the whole season was at his dominating best. And he never had another year like that, really, never. Well, you may remember, Pat, and uh, we went out to Portland the year after that. And uh, it was really the end of, of Bill Walton's able ability to play over a long period of time. It was halftime, just about halftime of of our first trip out to Portland uh, uh, after the championship year. And uh, it always amazed me because uh, Sixers at that time were down by, I'm going to say, 12 or 13 points at halftime. And Julius Irving came down and gave one of those elevated jumps at the foul line and slammed it down. And people were on their feet screaming and everything else. And I'm saying, no, I said, well, what the heck? <laughs> this this is a game where you got this, your your home team is up by 12, 14 points to get to 76. And Bill Walton, just before the half, hurt his foot again. And you're right. That was pretty much uh, after that. It, it just never never came around for Bill anymore. He went to San Diego and, and tried to make a comeback. Which, right. Uh, was hobbled. He did go on to the Celtics. And in a limited backup role, <clears throat> he did make uh, major contributions. And and he would tell you uh, that was probably his second favorite year in the pros. He loved being a Celtic and, and loved that role of, of coming off the bench and, uh, and, and being a backup. And it, and it worked for him. And uh, <clears throat> but but we'll never know, Don, how good Bill Walton could have been. Uh, right. <clears throat> he would he would go down. With the very best centers of all time, but if he never, if he could have been healthy, uh, he'd have been at the very elite level. But Don, that's the that's the thing with so many of these big men; uh, they struggle with injuries. They just struggle with injuries, and and uh, you can just make a whole list of them uh, that with foot problems and ankle problems and knee problems. Uh, but it's not limited just to uh, to big men. Doug, I think back to Doug Collins in Philadelphia, oh. and, and his enormous struggles with both of his ankles and both of his feet and both of his knees. And and then uh, after that came Andrew Tony, and we'll we'll never be able to measure how great Andrew could have been. But he had one problem after another with his feet, and by the age of oh I don't know twenty seven, twenty eight, basically his career was over. It, it, it's really, really sad when, when you see what, what what leg and foot injuries do to so many NBA players. Yeah, Collins fought those stress fractures in his feet time and time. And every time you thought he was ready to go again, the one thing would pop up again. And uh, I wouldn't let you go before about coaches, but I wouldn't let you go without at least making a comment about, about Wilt because uh, Wilt was in Philadelphia a couple of times and uh, – what a story! What a story, man! He is. Well, Don, we're celebrating this uh, that heroic feat of uh, March second, nineteen sixty-two, 
uh, when uh, Wilt went for a hundred in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the uh, 76ers took a home game out on the road. And in Hershey, Pennsylvania, uh, Wilt did something that nobody's ever done, probably never will do, a uh, hundred points against the New York Knickerbockers. And uh, uh, just a, a fascinating accomplishment. And, and the interesting thing is there were no newspapers there to cover it. Uh, Harvey Pollack, our dear friend, had to submit the articles to the Philadelphia newspapers. Bill Campbell did do the broadcast. And, and at night in those days, if it was clear, uh, you could get WCAU up and down the East Coast. And I happened to be in my dorm room. It was my senior year at Wake Forest. I happened to be in the dorm room fiddling around with a dial. And, uh, and then you, when you heard Bill Campbell's voice excited, well, there was no voice quite like it. And he is describing, you know, as Wilt Chamberlain comes down and he's got 90 points. And he described it right down to the end. And fortunately, some kid in Philadelphia taped it. Uh, you know, the station didn't. Uh, but fortunately, some kid, you know, at home taped the thing. And uh, we do have a bill bringing that, that historic uh, basketball night down to, down to its conclusion. Yeah, he called us at, uh, in fact, it was interesting because he called us at CAU and Bill didn't have it. And he called Bill and said, look, uh, uh, do you have a copy of the uh, of the broadcast that you had of the 100-point game? And Bill said, oh, no, absolutely not. And he said, well, I did. I did. It's like, just, just what you're saying. He taped it at home. Yeah. And so he sent it to Bill. So every time you hear it on a national broadcast now, it's this fan who actually taped it, sent it to Bill, and then, of course, it became a part of uh, a part of basketball lure, but uh, let me just let me. It's the same thing in 1951 when Bobby Thompson hit that historic home run against the Dodgers. Uh, nobody taped it except some some fan at home, and and that's why we have a copy of Russ Hodges. Uh, the Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. <laughs> Bobby Thompson hits one into the lower deck. I do not believe it. I do not believe it. <laughs> that was that was some fan at home who taped that, and uh, without it, we wouldn't have that voice. Bill, I, I mean, before I let you go, Pat, I, I, one thing I would like you to touch on, because we've had a chance now, I've seen four uh, exhibition games so far this spring. I uh, saw the Phillies today here in, in Sarasota. And uh, some of your thoughts uh, very quickly, uh, uh, because you're a baseball guy first, and then you went from there. <laughs> To the basketball scene, but uh, the new rules. What uh, are you? Uh, have you had a chance to, to sort of digest what they've done? Don, everybody I have spoken to, and I had lunch today with a longtime uh, Major League Baseball scout, uh, Gary Nichols. Uh, I've talked to many others. I've talked to media members. I've, I've been watching on television, and I, I all I can say is hallelujah. It's it's wonderful, and and let's uh, let's hope that uh, you know it, it 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 speeds the game up, and gets pitchers to throw it, and, and above all, the batters have to stay in the batter's box, and they don't step out. and I never could understand they re readjusted their their glove every time. Right. And I kept thinking, does it get that loose after one pitch that you took? Well, I think they also have gotten the timing correct. 15 seconds, 20 seconds if there's a run on first base. Oh, number yeah. of times you can throw over. I think that's a, 
a positive. The only thing I, I would question a little bit, and I think it may change down the road, I'm still not for the ghost runner in the 10th inning. I know they want to, you know, the game's so right now, they can't afford to go 15 innings, 16 innings with the pitchers. But I'd like them to go a little bit further. I think the, the ghost runner starting in the 10th inning, uh, that's the only one I would really uh, question. Well, let's see how that plays out. Uh, I, this scout I was with today said he really likes that role. He, he said, we don't need 18-inning games anymore. And he said, when you're pitching outfielders and backup catchers and right. and, and all of that. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I'm, I, I, the size of the bases I don't think is that big a deal, I don't think. Uh, I do like the, uh, the, the, the stationing of the infielders. Uh, Don, that's very much like uh, the defensive rules in in basketball. You know, you, uh, you you know they 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 set defensive rules that you couldn't. Well, they've done the same thing here. You you must position on either side of second base. Uh, that's how base. That's how we grew up with baseball, and uh, and that's that, that. I think they've they put some sense back into baseball. Uh, you know, when you hit a legitimate, solid base hit into right field, and you got an infielder stationed out there and throws you out at first base, oh my goodness, uh, that uh, that that to me was not the game. Uh, that was the that was all these. I hate to say this, Don. It was it was all the Ivy Leaguers, you know, who were up in the booth, you know, figuring out all this stuff, and the the, the Ivy Leaguers changed the whole course of baseball. Uh, and now they've got it back in the hands of baseball people, and I think that's going to make uh, the game much better. By the way, is the conclusion, uh, Pat, any one other coach that you'd like, that even coaches, uh, where well, can they get it, Pat? And also uh, any other coach that you'd like to just touch on? Well, Don, the uh, the uh, the name of the book is Who Coached the Coaches? And um, uh, the, the publisher was Coach's Choice. And, oh, one other um, – this one tickled me to death, and I don't remember all the details, but I, I, I contacted Andy Reid and asked if he would participate. Don, he sent me back handwritten like a four-page letter of, of his memories of, of all this, a four-page letter handwritten um, back from Andy Reid. And uh, that, that, I'm, a, I'm a huge Andy Reid fan anyway, but, boy, that really touched me that – he would take that kind of time in his busy life and uh, and just share his uh, early memories of becoming a coach. So go get him, Andy. Uh, I, I, whenever he does well, like this last Super Bowl, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's, he's, a, he's a class guy, quality guy, and, and a very caring man. Well, Pat Williams is right at the top of the list as well, and I want to thank you once again for joining us. And, and more importantly, I just don't go to Orlando that much, but I'll get there one of these days. And uh, uh, one last thing, any new word on uh, things are not changing anything in Tampa, but uh, any new word? I, I know you've been fighting and fighting and fighting to get a baseball team over there. Anything Don, new? You know, Don, Orlando's ready. I mean, we're a major market. We're a bigger media market than Miami now. Oh, uh, the number one, the number one, uh, Orlando last year, tourist attraction, number, number one in the country. Uh, how about the world? Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's not slowing down. It's coming back full, full, full war. And uh, so we're ready. We, we've got everything you need for a major league team. You've got to have four things, Don. One, you've got to have the marketplace. Two, you've got to have a ballpark. Three, you've got to have a, 
uh, a staff, a front office staff that knows what they're doing. And number four, you've got to have an owner. Uh, we're still we're still seeking that owner. Uh, ownership in <clears throat> in pro sports now is not for the wealthy; it's for the extraordinary wealth. Right. And so we're we're looking for that right owner. We've got the market. We think we have the right staff, and uh, and we're we're just working on designing a ballpark. And so th- we're having a good time, uh, fascinating time, really. And uh, we're watching very closely what's going on in St. Pete. Uh, I'm still not convinced that St. Pete can get a ballpark built. Uh, we'll see. We're we're watching it very closely. Well, Pat, thank you once again for your time. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, has been over the years. We'll hopefully continue to go be that way in the future. But thanks so much, and we'll get together again real soon. Tom, thanks a million. Good to visit with you. Always. Thanks.